Excuse me, kind human. Oh, hello. Did you know this Friday, June 22nd, is the beginning of Sprint Saturday, a weekend-long event with spectacular savings? I didn't know that. Are humans also unaware that Sprint offers 50% off the Samsung Galaxy S9 with Sprint Flex Lease? I need to get to Sprint this weekend. Helping humans is my mission. Switching at 50% off a Galaxy S9 lease. Only at the Sprint Saturday event starting this Friday, June 22nd through Sunday, June 24th. Visit Sprint.com slash GS9 or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Galaxy S9, $16.50 per month after $16.50 monthly credit. Apply within two bills for 18 months. If you cancel early, remain balance due with approved credit. New line and $30 activation fee. Restrictions apply. This podcast contains explicit material that may not be suitable for all listeners. For those of you brave enough to stick around, enjoy the show. Welcome to the We Still Booze Podcast, brought to you by WideRightNattyLight.com, your one-stop Iowa State online blog shop. Throw me the bootleg and I'm gone. Then I take a few steps and I keep left and the people take a deep breath and I'm up in your end zone. 816 boys, we reference connected with Iowa State. Play out a position in it. Welcome Cyclone fans to another edition of the Wide Right Natty Light Podcast. Uh, tonight we have a special guest for you, Jeremiah Davis from Cedar Rapids Gazette. will be coming on here in just a little bit to help us preview the Iowa versus Iowa State basketball game uh, Thursday night in Iowa City. Just a quick reminder, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, we'll go ahead and read them on the air if we get any uh, on, our next, on our next podcast. So at this point, I'm going to bring in uh, Jeremiah Davis. Jeremiah, how are we doing tonight? Doing well. How about you? I'm doing all right, trying to recover from this cold, so forgive me if I uh, cough <laughs> into the into the microphone or disrupt your hearing there a little bit. You're an Iowa State grad, correct? Yeah. Yep, I graduated in 2012 from Iowa State. So it's, it's Wednesday night. I don't know if uh, you were up to any midweek shenanigans in your time in Ames. I just wonder if you had a, a Wednesday night spot for a couple beverages when you were in Ames. Well, my, I, I didn't have a, a spot for any specific night, but Estas was my go-to whenever I went out. That was where – because I, I wasn't a, a Sips or a Patties kind of guy. Patties was kind of my second uh, favorite option, but certainly no sips. Uh, I wasn't a size roost guy uh, or Mickey's even. Um, and then whatever was down on the corner at the time <laughs> that now is a CVS. Um, it, so Estas was my go-to. That was where I, I felt most comfortable. And the, the tacos were great. <laughs> you know, the beer's cold and can't ask for much more, right? That's right. That's right. I don't know. When I, when I was there, we I didn't venture to sips very often into that basement, but uh, if if it was, it was on a Wednesday night for they had at my time they had uh, 25 cent draws and and mixers at that time, so it got pretty dangerous for Wednesday nights. And then uh, old old Maine was another spot they had their their pints for a dollar, which is which is a pretty good punch too. So as we're as we're recording this, you and I is playing. Uh, uh, T.J. Altsenberger's new team here, and you covered the UNI men's basketball team last year, correct? Yeah, last two years. Uh, uh, got to go uh, to a couple different uh, cool events, you know, doing the NBC tournament twice and NCAA tournament last year, so a, 
got got to cover a lot of ground in two years with the Panthers. So as I'm as I'm watching and, and Matt Bohannon's on the on the color and he's doing he's doing a pretty good job. Um, there there's a little connection I think to to what you you saw in their last game last year to what Cyclone fans have kind of grown accustomed to over the year that proverbial kick to the groin if you will at the most inopportune mm-hmm. times. But but I don't I don't think we've ever seen quite what happened against Texas A&M there in, in the round of 32. Can you kind of take us inside what, what that was like after the fact in the, in the locker room with the, with the coaches and the players? Well, it's nobody's ever seen anything like that. It's the biggest collapse, you know, in college basketball history. I mean, there, nobody had ever had that much of a lead in giving it up in that amount of time. And, you know, I'll, I, I, along with everybody else, you know, including Seth Davis, on, you know, with the Sharpie and all that. Well, everybody thought the game was over. Uh, I was planning with my bosses on going to Anaheim. You know, we were trying to figure out flights and, and hotels and stuff because the game was all, all but over. And I'll never forget, Brad Lowhouse and Tanner Lowhouse were sitting right behind me, uh, just behind press row. And Texas A&M scored a couple different buckets, and it got, a li- you know, a little uncomfortable and people were still tweeting and, and stuff about how, you know, you and I was on to the Sweet 16. And I sent a tweet out, and I was like, hey, just, you know, the game isn't actually over yet, just, you know, so you're aware. And I, I turned around, and Tanner Lowhouse looks at me and just shook, shook his head ominously. And, like, I've never had one of those, like, foreshadowing moments quite like that, where I was like, uh-oh, that, that's not good. Like, I just got a weird feeling, and, and just – it was like a slow motion train wreck. It just kept happening. And Texas A&M had to, like, every shot they made, they had to make it. If they miss any one, you and I win because you just don't have enough time to overcome it. And you could look back on those final, you know, that final minute essentially and point to a few different things. Um, you know, if Clint Carlson dribbles a little bit more before he goes and dunks it, you know, does Texas A&M run out of time? But then again, what if he gets fouled before he dunks it and doesn't make the free throws? It's There's a ton of what ifs that were attached to that final minute. And it just, the the odds of that happening are smaller than getting struck by lightning or, you know, winning the lottery. It's just, it was just crazy to watch. And then when you, when it happens and it's done, and, and they went through two overtimes to mention, where everybody forgets that part. They went through two overtimes too, where you and I had leads, and lost and lost him still. Um, they just they couldn't land the plane, as, as to borrow a phrase from my colleague Mark Morehouse. Um, going into the locker room after the game, well, first I, I should back up the the press conference afterwards. I've I've not been doing this terribly long. I've you know I've been covering college basketball since 2010, but I've never seen a coach and players own a moment that difficult the way Northern Iowa did that night. It was, it was as impressive as, as impressive as I've ever been in a, in what, at one of those situations. Um, ben Jacobson answered every question asked of him, you know, didn't duck anything, took responsibility. Those seniors did too. They didn't have to come up there and talk, but they did. And then you go into the locker room and it honestly felt like a funeral home. I'm, I don't want to overstate that, but it like nobody, nobody was looking up. There was, you know, tears everywhere and, hugs and stuff like that and but to their credit the the players that didn't make it out to 
the post-game press conference answered all our questions. You know, Jeremy Morgan and Clint Carlson uh, didn't shy away. They weren't, you know, they could very easily have just, you know, given you one-word answers or something like that. But they all handled it with tremendous class. And you're an objective observer, right, in my position. But you can't not, as a human being, feel for them in that moment. I don't care what team it is, what team you're covering. To go through something like that, come that close, and, and be just devastated that way, it was just it was really hard, uh, honestly, to be in there. And, and one of the harder stories I've ever had to write, too. You mentioned how you have to be an objective observer. Obviously, at our site, we're, we're a fan site, so we, we don't necessarily have to be an <laughs> right. objective observer. We have, we have our biases. How how hard is that uh, to to cover a team and and be objective? Just knowing, you know, when you're in these different environments, home court environments, different things, and you follow, you're around a team so much to stay, you know, unbiased and objective, like you said. It's honestly not that difficult. I mean, you're when you're on deadline, especially, you're just rooting for a quick game. I mean, I, I'm I, I'm not I'm I promise I'm not feeding you full a line. I like the. I want the game to be over quickly. I want something cool or interesting to happen. I don't care, you know, good or bad for the team, the beat, the team I'm covering as a beat reporter. I just want something interesting to happen. You know, when Iowa lost to uh, UNO last week or last Saturday, that was compelling because it wasn't expected and it was an upset. And that story, that story had something to it. You know, when boring things happen, that's where it's sort of like, all right, Let's, let's, get, let's get the game over. And that's happened with every team I've ever covered. And I'm, I cover auto racing, too, in the summer. And when if the, if the race I'm covering is boring, it's, it's not as much fun. Um, you know, so you root for good stories and it, at the end of the day. And when good things happen to good people, it's just sort of a, a boost. Because you find out pretty quickly when you're around the team a lot, you know, who the good ones are and who the guys are who, you know, maybe aren't as uh, reliable in terms of um, what they bring to the team on and off the court. And so, you know, a, a guy like Matt Bohannon, I, you know, you mentioned him covering uh, the game tonight, play-by-play or color commentary. That's a kid who, you know, was as honest with me as any player I've ever covered. And what more can you ask? So you root for him as an individual. It's just like, to, you know, when he got hurt, it sucks to see that. But you're not – you know, like if if they lose or he goes one for five, that's no skin off my back. That's really it. It's always it's been that way since you know I, I got over or I learned or I, I learned that you know at the Iowa State Daily. Um, you know, because when I showed up at Iowa State, you know I was part of Cyclone Alley right along everybody else, and then I joined the newspaper, and you realize okay, you got to you got to treat it this way, and it just sort of evolves from there and becomes second nature. You know, the longer you're in it. So speaking of compelling stories, last year's Iowa versus Iowa State game uh, gave us one for the ages, if you will, with uh, Utah coming out and scoring 30 points in the first half. Looked like Iowa was on their way, and I think Iowa State at the time was ranked number four in the country. Uh, they mm-hmm. kind of come storming back in the in the second half uh, in route to a victory. But this game doesn't seem like it has some of the hype if you will, that, that the previous ones have had. Um, Iowa's maybe a little bit more down than they have in the past. What's the what's the feeling around Iowa City in, in anticipation of this game with, with fans and players? Well, 
I think among the players, it's as uh, intense or as uh, hyped up as it's ever been. Um, Iowa has five guys that are, for, you know, are from Iowa who are going to contribute uh, and seven total on the roster that are from Iowa. So they understand what the game means. You know, Fran McCaffrey's been around the rivalry long enough. He understands what it means. Um, what's perplexing to me, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the Iowa State fan site podcast, but I tweeted out uh, the other night when I covered the game, I'm honestly curious why more Iowa students don't go to the Carver Hawkeye Arena. Um, I understand it's not the the best college basketball environment. I understand it's hard for, you know, where it's located, it's hard for students to get to it, you know, and also tailgate, you know, or pregame or whatever from their dorm rooms. But at the end of the day, tickets aren't that expensive. You know, I think for $20 for students in that single game, I think you get a little bit of a discount um, if you buy a season ticket. It just, it doesn't, I don't, I can't understand if I, if I'm a sports fan, especially a basketball fan, and I go to school at a place, why I wouldn't attend those games. I, I just don't – it doesn't compute with me, and I'm not sure that there's ever going to be a great answer, um, you know, because they, it wasn't like this is a this-year phenomenon. Um, they've had issues with getting students to games, you know, whether they're good or bad. So um, overall, I think it's – people are excited. It's just – you know, football's still there with the bowl game, and the fact that they're, you know, only four and five doesn't help anything. So Iowa, Iowa State doesn't have the Iowa connections that the University of Iowa does with, with players on their roster. Uh, you think back to last year, George Niang was, wasn't an Iowan, but I think by the time that he left, he had endeared many Cyclone fans, and he was, he was certainly invested invested in that rivalry, and I think all the Iowa State fans could really appreciate the fact that, you know, he chose a place so far from home and then became enthralled with the, the rivalry and kind of brought some smack talk with the, with the kiss to the crowd and, and things like that. Do you think we'll have any of those sort of antics tomorrow night? Probably not, just because Niang was kind of the uh, driving force behind that, but if it comes from anybody, it's either, it's either going to be Nazmi Trulong or Cordell Pemsel for Iowa. I think those are the guys with the most outward personality on the both te- on both teams. Um, you know, Pemsel grew up in the Quad Cities, and he said he's never been to an Iowa Iowa State game, but watched them all and, and understands the rivalry. And when we asked him about it, if he had thought about the game, you know, more than you know 24 hours before it, he kind of smiled and said no, but you knew, of course, these guys knew it's, know it's coming and they know the circumstances around it. So Pemsel's the kind of guy who opposing teams are going to love to hate him over the next four years. You know, he, he got it a little bit at Notre Dame even when, you know, in his first start, that, that crowd booed him and they got on him, and I think he's the kind of player who feeds off that. So if somebody from Iowa is going to kind of – take up that mantle of, of trash talk and really getting in somebody's face, it's Pemsel. And I, I would throw Tyler Cook in there too, but obviously he's not going to be able to play. Iowa's success this year will kind of start and end with uh, how well Peter Jock is, is going now, especially now that Tyler Cook is, is out for a little bit of time here. 
working working on the eastern side of the state, a lot of Hawkeye fans that I work with will they'll credit Peter Jock for being able to put the ball in the hoop, but then they'll instantly discredit him with his defense. Is that is that a fair assessment for him? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, he's not the best defender ever. That's, that's for certain. Like, I mean, he has he he has struggled on defensive end in the past, but uh, he also greatly increased his steal numbers last year. Um, and I think this year, one of the biggest issue issues he has, and he did kind of admit to this, he has to work so hard to get open on the offensive end. And I'm not saying this, you know, to be a, a, a homer for him. I'm, I've watched it happen. The, he's being doubled or tripled whenever he touches the ball. And just to get open, he has to sprint and move and, you know, come off a screen if it's available. And even then, somebody's hedging that screen most times. So it, you have to pick and choose, unfortunately, how much effort you're going to put in if you want to survive the whole game. You know, and so on the defensive end, if he, you know, he'll do his job to the best of his ability, but it, if it comes to sprinting across, you know, side to you know side to side to help on somebody driving the lane, you may not subconsciously think, oh, I'm not helping, you're, or you may not consciously think that, but subconsciously you're probably like, oh, you know what, I'm I can't get there anyway. I'm not gonna waste that energy when I have to go back down and get open. So I think that's affecting how efficient he is defensively. But, I mean, Iowa as a whole has played terribly defensively this year for the most part, other than, you know, save for a few pockets of a few games. You know, it's it's certainly not just on him. And I don't know how fair it is to, you know, just totally discredit what he does on defense. What do you think is the – is the difference this year and why they haven't been able to defend as well. I think some people would say they made a little bit of improvement against Stetson, but I, I think they still gave up over 70 to the Mad Hatters. What outside of individual efforts, uh, are there rotation issues or is it just a lack of experience maybe? It's mostly the last thing, honestly. I mean, and I don't like nobody wants to make excuses uh, for them, you know, certainly not them um, because they, they're, I think that they're they're better than what they've played. But when you look at their roster, they have two guys who are upperclassmen, in, or three guys, excuse me, Peter Jock, Dale Jones, and Dom Yule. Dale Jones has only played, I think, seven games as a Hawkeye total, you know, and after with all of his injuries. And then other than that, it was coming into the season, it was Ahmad Wagner, Christian Williams, Peter Jock, Brady Ellingson, Dom Yule, and Nicholas Bear, who had, even, who had played at all for the Hawkeyes. Everybody else was either a freshman or a redshirt freshman. It takes game reps to see what another team is doing and anticipate what another team is doing. When you can anticipate a, a, a set, a play, because you've seen it before, that makes your defense you know, predictive, not reactive, if that makes sense. Right now they're a half-step to a full step behind because they're reacting. They're not acting. And that just takes time. There's no there's no magic cure, I, I don't think. Now, I think that they're very frustrated they haven't shown more improvement because they're working on it hard. But ultimately, it's just going to come down to these guys getting game reps. And there's not a ton more to it than that because the communication will get better, the uh, – 
trust will get better the more time they play. What it, what advantages do the Hawkeyes have over Iowa State tomorrow night, or what what areas do you think they're going to try to expose the Cyclones? I think inside probably is the is the best option. Um, Cordell Pemsel, since he's been moved into the starting lineup, is 23 or 27 from the field. That's absurd. I mean, you're he's also shooting. Uh, let me get to, let me pull this up. He's shooting. 77% from the field for the year. He's 38-49 from the field. That's, I don't know if that's probably not sustainable, right? But carries himself like an older player around the rim. His footwork is great, and he takes shots he knows he can make, and that's important. And I don't know that Iowa State has a big man that can handle him on the defensive end. Uh, I could be wrong about that, and and Pemsel could have, you know. <laughs> could have a poor shooting night. I, I uh, certainly have been wrong about that before, but um, I think that's the best option. You know, go inside, outside, Pemsel and, and Jock. You know, Jock's going to see uh, the same defense he's seen in, in the, the you know his first night or yeah nine games so far this year. You know, and, and uh, Iowa doesn't have a tremendous, uh, you know, they don't have a, an advantage, I don't think, at the guard position overall. You know, with Isaiah Moss has played really well uh, so far, but you know when you look at Matt Thomas, uh, Naz Mitrilong, and Monty Morris, the amount of games they've all played together, you know, I don't think there's any way you could say that Iowa has an advantage there. So it's got to be inside if Iowa had, and they've got to exploit that and make Iowa State, you know, honor that and not just shadow jock if they're going to have overall success offensively. Flipping the script a little bit then, uh, what do you think Iowa State can expose? You, you've covered the Hawkeyes now this season, so you've seen a lot more of their games, obviously, than the Cyclones. But what areas do you think that the Cyclones can expose? Well, uh, <laughs> plenty. Um, Iowa's de- defensive rotations aren't good enough yet. Um, their closeouts aren't good enough yet. Um, their box outs aren't there. They, you know, they've allowed quite a few offensive rebounds. Um, and I was gotten better on turnovers, but you know, in in a couple games, but other than, other than, uh, I believe Notre Dame and, uh, versus Stetson, they've had at least 15 turnovers in every game that, you know, with a team like Iowa state, if you're turning the ball over 15 times, Iowa state's going to have, you know, 20 to 30 points in transition, <laughs> you know, possibly. So Iowa State hasn't shot the ball well. Am I am I correct in saying that they've they've, they've had yeah. less they've, less they've, good offensive output? Yes, they, I think the puzzling thing to a lot of people is their output from outside of the arc. I think a lot of people. I uh, thought, you know, getting rid of Niang, returning all those guards is going to kind of get back to the Cyclones of old of bombs away from the three-point line. And uh, Mitri Long's shot hasn't, hasn't been there yet. Matt Thomas has, has been around his average, but it hasn't, he hasn't gone on any, mm-hmm. any good runs yet. So I think uh, it, it's kind of an inverse of what we've, we've grown accustomed to with the Cyclones of, they're doing most of their their scoring, like you said, in, in transition and inside of the paint. 
however that comes, it doesn't necessarily come from their big guys, um, but it could be come from their guards, uh, driving and right. things like that. So it's it's kind of weird, to be honest, watching an Iowa State team that has gone so far with their defense and <laughs> lack of three-point shooting. It's, you you got to you know switch the channel every once in a while and make sure that you're watching the right game, but uh, they've still been able to, to, to get some wins regardless. Well, and that's what, in the, in the games that I've been able to watch at Iowa State, that's where I've you know, been as that shocked almost. And you you look at Ken Palm, Iowa State is ranked 22nd in adjusted defense. They're ranked 11th in effective field goal percentage. They're 44th in turnover and offensive rebound percentage. And they're not putting people on the free throw line. They're fifth in the country in, on Ken Palm in that. They're holding teams to a, a great shooting percentage. It's it, it's bizarre, honestly. Like you, watching Hoyball uh, for you know however long he was there, four or five years, whatever it was, you just you came to accept the fact that Iowa State wasn't going to worry about defense that much. If they got to stop, they got to stop, and they'd go down and outscore you. I whereas Iowa was the opposite. So they've kind of switched roles in a way this year, it's, and it's it's crazy to see. It really, it really is. You know, I, I I was at that game against Cincinnati the other night, and I think a lot of fans left frustrated. I, I heard some some comments about, oh, I'm not sure if Prom's really the right guy. But then if you think about it, they gave up 55 points in in 45 minutes. A, a one point loss in the 50s is the same as a one point loss in the 90s. You know, Hoiberg wasn't right. wasn't immune to to losing to those types of teams either. And and Cincinnati's no slouch either. So I think it's the offense will come. Uh, Prom has said as much. He said that he likes to give his guys a little bit of freedom early in the year. And I think part of that too is they're they're learning to play without Niang. Uh, it's not just that you know Naz is struggling with his shots. He's just not getting the the types of looks that he was when they could get the ball to Niang in the middle. And he was so good at finding those open shooters in the corners and on the perimeter. I think. It'll take some time. I think they will get it. We'll get it figured out. But it's nice to have a defense that'll that'll travel with you, so that when the shots aren't falling, you you still have a a chance of winning a close game. Absolutely. So you've mentioned I mean, you're, you're, oh, No, go ahead. I, I, I just I, I would agree. I was going to agree with you. I mean, it, the the law of averages and the, the talented shooters that Iowa State has, if the defense is there, uh, that shot will come around for sure. You mentioned Ken Pomeroy. Um, I visit his site frequently as well. His site is usually pretty close to the uh, Las Vegas line, if you will, for the gamblers listening here. So Ken Palm, I think, has this as of this morning. I checked. It was a, a six-point win for Iowa State, and I think the line opened at about seven and a half in in Las Vegas. I want you to finish finish this sentence for me. Uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes will win the game if. Iowa Hawkeyes win the game if Iowa State shoots like they did against Cincinnati. Uh, Iowa has not had trouble scoring this year. It's, they've, they've played really well on offense. And if I, I think Iowa State has much improved uh, their defensive prowess, but they haven't done it from what I've seen super effectively against really good teams. Um, you know they they allowed 73 points to Gonzaga. You know that that's probably you know I think the best team they face, right? And 
it was better against Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is, I mean, in their rank, I'm not trying to downplay what Cincinnati is, but um, that style of game and the style Cincinnati plays lends itself to low-scoring games. So Iowa State's going to get a real test uh, by Iowa's offense, and I think if, if Iowa State struggles from the field, Iowa's going to have a really, really good chance to win. That's just, it's, But it's a big if and it's a big ask. So flipping to the other side then, Iowa State will win the game if? If the Iowa defense that has showed up against pretty much every team team this year shows up tomorrow night. I mean, if Iowa's not rebounding, if Iowa's not getting stops, if Iowa's not forcing any turnovers, there it's, it's going to probably uh, devolve into a track meet. And once, you know, like you saw against Notre Dame, Iowa held their own, and then they went through a shooting slump in the second half and couldn't get any stops and couldn't overcome it. So, you know, if if Iowa doesn't show any improvement or doesn't show, show that the improvement they made against Stetson defensively can carry over, Iowa State's going to win. As for the Hawkeyes continuing on the rest of the year, what are what are some reasonable expectations for them and this team this year? Oh, you know, I, I initially I said before the season – that I, th- I thought they were still a, a tournament team. They you know, I thought with Jock and with the uh, ability of these freshmen that they were going to do enough. You know, if you win uh, 10, 11 games in the Big Ten, that's probably good enough, right? You know, if you finish fifth in the league, fifth or sixth in the league, you're probably good enough to go. I don't know anymore. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm kind of waffling. I, I think that if they can go 500 in the league that'll be very good at this point because it's going to require them to beat some teams that are better than them, um, you know. But we're going to see Iowa go somewhere and beat somebody they shouldn't beat. They shouldn't, you know, they're going to go to Purdue and win or they're going to go to Michigan State and win or they're going to go to Wisconsin and win. And then they're going to come home and lose to somebody like Illinois or Minnesota or something like that where it's like this team, predicting this team is like, predicting your lottery numbers it's, it's going to be really hard to know night to night what you expect at least as it stands right now now that, this could change i mean over the the winter break you know the the brief break before uh big 10 starts maybe something shifts maybe getting dale jones and tyler cook back will increase that uh that maturity level or that uh consistency on defense level it's it's really hard to tell. I don't have a great answer for you, unfortunately. I don't I don't know because it's so it's been so hard to predict and, and know what to expect night to night. If if things do continue to trend trend downward, McCaffrey's in I think year seven in Iowa City. Uh they are very young this year, but at the same point he kinda of built up for last year and it ended with around a thirty two exit. Now now we're in a rebuilding year in year seven. Would it be fair to to say to have people say that they're putting him on the hot seat, if you will, or or is his seat lukewarm, or is he under no no intents and purposes going to have to wonder about his job? I don't think so. I mean, the way the last couple seasons ended for Iowa obviously was disappointing for them, and you know, you say what you want about his coaching style and what it does by the end of the season and whether or not they wear down. But I think those two, those last two Iowa teams had, you know, they sputtered at the end for different reasons. And I don't know that you can put it all on him. He's recruiting tremendously well. 
the the players he's bringing in clearly are very very talented, and I think that there's enough hope for the future. You know, in watching Jordan Bohannon and watching Isaiah Moss and watching Cordell Pemsel and Tyler Cook, these are guys who are going to be around for three or four years. You know, the only way I think the only way Cook leaves early is if he takes a tremendous and that. By the way, I I thought he had one and done potential, but he has a long a longer ways to go than I thought initially. Um, so the potential he has built around the team, they're going to be good for the next two or three years. And I think there's enough cachet there that he's not going to have to worry, even if, you know, unless they just totally tank this year, you know, and they only win like six or seven games total, which is, I don't I think an unrealistic uh, possibility. That's the only situation. If they totally tank or and there's mass transfers, if something crazy happens over the course of this year and in the next off season, then maybe, but you know, if they hover around 500, you know, this year, you know, in a rebuilding season, I think he, it's, there's no pressure. We'll shift back to the Cyclones here for, for my last question for you tonight. As an outside observer, what, what do you think Cyclone fans uh, should, should expect from this team going forward the rest of the year? I think they're going to they're gonna find consistency. I think they're going to find their groove. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, the, the, sh- the shooting woes that they've had, I don't they, like they're they're getting decent shots. I think uh, I, I think their their offense is working okay, uh, and some of the new guys you know have to be brought along. Uh, I think Nasby Trulong has to adjust to a uh, a different role in the sense of the attention he's getting. You know he's clearly not used to that yet. George Yang covered up a lot uh, for these guys. You know one of the best players to ever play at Iowa State, if not the best. So you, you know you're he can mask a lot of deficiencies, right? But they're good enough that I, I mean, they should be. They should hover around the top 25 all year. I can't. I can't imagine unless you know somebody gets hurt that that they won't be around and won't be in the tournament. It's it's not going to be the same as it was the last couple of years. You know, you're not going to. It's not a a lock that they're a Sweet 16 team, but I think that they could win a game or two at the tournament, and I wouldn't be shocked. Very good. Well, we appreciate you coming on this evening, Jeremiah. Where where can our fans? Uh, follow you on Twitter tomorrow night during the game and, and catch some of your work leading up tomorrow. On on Twitter, I'm at Jeremiah Davis 10, Jeremiah Davis 1-0 at the end there. And then you can find my work at thegazette.com slash sports. Um, we've got all kinds of good stuff for you. Um, Dylan Montz has the Iowa State uh, angle of, of things. Go read his story as well. Um, and I think we'll both, we should both be there as well as uh, Mike Kloss, our, our columnist, will be there for the game as well. So, uh, Go follow all of us and uh, check out our work if you want. Very good. Well, once again, I, I do appreciate the conversation. Like I said, we we had Dylan on, I think, uh, last week to talk about some Iowa State football. So we appreciate you guys. Uh, you're you're the experts. You're at the games and things like that. So to get chime in and, and give us our two cents uh, when we aren't out there writing satire and things like that. So good luck covering the game tomorrow night. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Head fun. All right, that was Jeremiah Davis. Uh, he was our guest this evening on the Wide Right Natty Light podcast. Don't forget to leave us a, a review on iTunes. Go ahead and subscribe. If you're reading on the blog, on the media player there, you can go ahead and give us a review in the comments as well. Uh, we look forward to reading them. As always, go Cyclones.
this summer. Wherever you're heading in the great outdoors, make your first stop the Home Depot for off deep woods or active sweat-proof bug spray. Right now, get any three for just 10 bucks in your backyard or in the woods. If it's long-lasting protection you want or sweat-proof performance you need, when off goes on, bugs go away. Stock up now on off deep woods or active bug spray, three for just 10 bucks. Only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing while supplies last.